Hi, I'm the composer and songwriter Toby Young, and you're listening to the Signum Records podcast. That was a clip of Suo Gan from the Armonico Consort's new album, Greensleeves, Folk Music of the British Isles. It was arranged by the composer and songwriter Toby Young, who joins us for today's podcast. Welcome. Hi. So first question, could you tell me a bit about how you first came to work with the Armonico Consort? Yeah, so I actually started off as a singer with the consort. I left university and was a choral scholar there and then decided that I'd make my career as a singer in various different small consorts like Harmonico. Um, and so I was very happily working as one of the basses in the group um, when I started to say to tell Chris, the director, that I could in fact compose and I quite enjoyed composing and arranging. So in fact, on the CD, I'm, I'm one of the basses who are singing in it. Um, and then just before the CD was actually about to be recorded, Chris said, I think we might have space for a couple of arrangements. Would you be interested? So I, I then decided actually it's my time to start start working with them as a, as a composer as well. So I then arranged these two tracks that we're talking about today um, and also have subsequently done lots of other composing and I'm now, in fact, their composer in residence at the moment. Ah, so a long relationship then with, I love you. Well, with I the think consort. It, I think it's really important to have started off singing as well. So it means I really know the group. I really know the sort of voices that it make up and it makes it much more fun for me as well to be able to, to write for. Yeah, and it means you're doubly invested in this disc as well as composer and performer, which is quite unusual. So let's talk a bit about the pieces that you contributed. Um, so there's two pieces, one of which you've just heard, the other of which we'll hear a bit of in a minute, I think, both of which are uh, arrangements of folk songs. Is folk music something you've drawn on regularly in your composition? Definitely. I'm very interested in the way that folk music... Um, can be updated, can be modernised for, for today's society. Mm. I think it's one of those very um, timeless forms of music and it's something that works very well with a lot of different styles. So for example, um, thinking about some of the, the, the tunes on this uh, disc, you have songs that have been covered by everyone from sort of Fairport Convention and you know traditional <laughs> folk groups right up to yeah. more modern groups. I mean, Led Zeppelin have done a cover of a few of these songs. So this idea that actually, in some ways, folk music is is not only timeless but also covers a load of different genres, which is very interesting for me. I I work between classical music and pop music, and so folk music in some way feels like the middle point, something that can be brought into both classical music through through discs like this, but also into the pop world through um, you know indie folk and that sort of. Sort of genre. So that, that really interests me of how folk music can be the sort of pivot in between these two different musical worlds. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk a little bit more about that intriguing facet of your career later. 
But meanwhile, I just want to ask a bit more about the two songs that you arranged. Why did you choose these songs and how did you adapt or update them? So when Chris asked me to write something for the group, he first of all gave me quite a loose brief, was, which was that it, this disc is made up of a whole host of different songs from the British Isles in general. So actually, the, the freedom was to basically choose any folk songs I wanted, which is quite a scary thing. There are obviously lots of very famous ones, and it took me quite a while. I, I went through a lot of um, folk music discs that I knew and lots of old folk music books, as sort of old Vaughan Williams books, to try and work out what I could do. And it it struck me that actually the real power, I think, of folk music is, is in the sort of... Um, the kind of emotional quality of them. And so I, I ended up stumbling across these two, Surgan and She Moved Through the Fair, both of which um, are very lyrical and very pretty, but also have a much sort of deeper meaning behind them, a much more emotional um, aspect. So I thought they'd be the perfect things to try and explore and play around with. Um, mm. In terms of updating them, I was very keen that I did one of them as a slightly more sort of traditional arrangement to show that I could do that for Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so Surgan's um, very much in the sort of style of Vaughan Williams. It, it just extends that language that we're used to. But with She Moved Through the Fair, I wanted to make it a bit more interesting, a bit more modern. So I tried to think about if I were a, a pop band doing a cover, if I were trying to do a sort of slightly more um, interesting indie cover of it, what would I do? And so I, I came across a few interesting chord sequences and a few interesting melodic shapes that I thought would be quite nice to complement the, the sort of timeless nature of the, the song, but maybe bring it up to date a bit more. So that's a little bit more experimental and perhaps a bit more mm. poppy as well. And what about the texts of the two pieces? So Suo Gan, let's start with that one. Um, for someone that doesn't know it, myself included, I imagine it's Welsh, but is, yeah, is so there a story behind it? Suo Gan's a very, very beautiful Welsh lullaby. Um, and I think it really captures that sense of, of stillness, of, of beauty as the mother's rocking the child to sleep. And so I wanted to try and um, emulate that in my in my arrangement. Um, she moved through the fair is an interesting story because we're, we're not entirely sure what exactly it's about. The, the, the story tracks um, this sort of ghostly figure that comes to the person who's, uh, who's singing the song. And it's sort of almost like a, a kind of a hidden dream that's going on, some sort of lost memory. And it's a really interesting uh, song. And then at the end, um, it's, it's got a sort of tragic twist uh, as the figure dies. And the question is, I guess, to what extent it's sort of a dream or reality. But I think it's a really interesting um, kind of hazy... Uh, hazy story that can mean so many things to different people.
That was Toby Young's second arrangement for the disc, She Moved Through the Fair. So I hear you have several more upcoming projects in the pipeline, some of which are with the Armonico Consort. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Mm. So I've been very lucky. Since this disc was recorded, um, we, Chris, the director of Armonico, and I sat down and tried to create a series of projects that would fit around both the different things that I do, so both this classical and pop world that we're talking about, but also the different things that Armonico do. So they also have um, a sort of foot in the pop world with lots of education projects um, they're doing a big project, for example, at the Albert Hall next year. And I'm going to be doing some of the arrangements and maybe writing a couple of slightly more poppy songs for that as well. And so in some ways, my career actually reflects the different things they do. And one of the other big things that I'm doing for them is something that explores the work they do with other artists. So there's a big piece I'm writing for them, which is going to be based on the Beowulf story, uh, which is for Monaco, as well as um, the harpist Catherine Finch and the soprano Ellen Manahan Thomas. And the idea with that is to try and sort of take this folk music idea a bit further and try and update it a little bit more. So with Catherine, we're going to have um, some electronics with her harp to make it kind of try and make it a bit more sort of filmic in some ways and make it a bit more exciting and sort of really exploring how this folk language can, and the folk story idiom can be taken further and, and updated more. So that's going to be a really interesting project and I'm very much looking forward to it. Mm, so more folk it sounds folk, like folk is life. playing a significant role in your compositional career. Well, I think what's really interesting is this thing about it being between the pop world and the classical world. Quite a lot of my interest is how to make either pop music I do have a classical element or the way around, how to make the classical music I do have something of the sort of, I say pop in the most inverted commas. But I think what's really interesting is that folk seems to keep coming up, not as something I'd expect to come up, but as something that is so closely connected with both sides. So, for example, when I'm in the studio, I quite often end up writing melodies that are modal, use modal um, harmonic worlds, um, because that's something that most folk is based on, but it's also something that most um, pop music is based on. So there's always an interesting thing of how to stop it sounding too much like folk music, but yet folk music is so mm. kind of crucial to that process. Of course, and so many people from pop and classical have borrowed from folk, whether it's Vaughan Williams, Holst or various pop musicians that might have done the same thing that don't spring to mind. But, Simon um, Garfunkel, except Oh yeah, of course, Simon and Garfunkel. Finally, let's go back to this hinted at facet of your career, which is arguably very, very different from the work you do with classical groups like the Armonico Consort, which is the writing and work you do for chart-topping electronic and pop groups, for example, Chase and Status. Can you tell us a bit about that work and whether the two strands of your career are as different as they seem? I think at the most extreme levels, it can be quite different. So, for example, writing a big choral piece for a group like the Armonico that's based on folk music um, to be performed in a concert hall is clearly quite different from writing a drum and bass album with Chase and Status or something like that. Th those two things are quite polar opposite. But what's really interesting for me is the things that are a little bit closer to the middle. So um, quite often I do work which is with pop musicians to try and add something more classical. So for example, I did um, some arrangements for the Rolling Stones for their big comeback tour a couple of years back, um, trying to bring in some of the classical side for things like um, the, the famous song, You Can't Always Get What You Want. So we did, um, I did a big arrangement for them um, for a choir. So for all the, the concerts in the UK, um, we used local choirs and I went and actually performed on the stage with them, which was a pretty exciting experience. But then they took that um, that sort of choral aspect to local choirs when they did the world tour. So they also had local choirs from you know South America and Europe and various other places, which was quite fun. But I think that sort of thing, the work that brings together pop music and classical music, actually nowadays, the two worlds aren't that dissimilar. There's so many interesting mm -hmm. events and you know club nights and that sort of thing in the UK that bring together classical music and pop music in some way. And I think you know 
musicians of, of my generation are much more keen to to bridge those gaps so mm. it might seem in some ways quite different and certainly some of the out the end results of these things seem quite some kind of disparate but i think there's there's much more that kind of ties together those two worlds than, than at yeah. first glance and there's a long tradition of pop music roping in classical musicians and i think the set of skills that you get as a classical musician is has always been in demand in the pop oh, yeah. world. I mean, if you think about when, you know, obviously back in back when um, Hollywood really started using music, they had the kind of type of people like, you know, Korngold, who went from mm, their, their yeah. training under Mahler to go and start writing film scores. But right up until, you know, more recently, you get in sort of the 60s and 70s, lots of TV jingles were written by classical composers who wanted to earn some extra money. And I think that's really interesting is, you know, why is it such a kind of artificial divide now? Why do we still see this as being them and us? Why is there so kind of so much difference in the two things? When actually this is all just music at the end of the day. It's all, the, the way we experience music is the same. You listen to it on, on you know, on your iPod, your phone, whatever. And you're, I think, yeah, especially people of our generation are much more keen to have as many different styles as they can. And almost we kind of live our life by the music we have. And the more music and the more kind of stylistic variants, the, the more interesting it is. Yeah, I agree. So when you're working in the studio with a group like Chase and Status, and then when you're doing an arrangement for a classical group like the Harmonica Consort, are you in very different mindsets each time, or are there distinct parallels between your compositional processes? In some way, I think they're quite different because the equipment you're using is, is fundamentally very different. So when I'm writing for um, a group for a group like Harmonica, I'd much rather use pen and paper than anything else. Um, and typically a studio session with something like Chase and Status is going to be with a full bank of equipment and, you know, kind of interesting samplers and that sort of thing. But actually, the way I think about music isn't too different. I, I'm very driven by harmony and how harmony can add and tweak melodies and sort of make uh, interesting things kind of be shone through. So I think I still think about how the melody is being accompanied by harmony, how those two things work, whether I'm using pen and paper for something more traditional, whether I'm actually, you know, there with samplers and keyboards and all that sort of thing. So I try and, in some way, bring them together. A really interesting thing I did recently, which was um, a, a new double concerto I wrote for for Simon de Brule, who's a trumpet player, and Claire Hammond, who's a pianist, which is also actually coming out in Signum, um, is I decided for some of the process to use some of the electronic equipment to help me generate my ideas. So rather than keeping it so, dis so dis discreet, um, I used some of these samplers to get the kind of core material which I then developed on pen and paper. And I thought that was quite an interesting way to bring together the two different compositional processes. And actually, I enjoy that very much. And I think I'll probably carry on doing that sort of thing in, in my future work. Well, we look forward to hearing more of that type of thing from you. So where do you see the two strands of your career as they currently are continuing side by side? Or would you like to see them fuse or would you like one to take precedence over the other at some point or do you have no idea <laughs> i think well for a start i think i have no idea because we never know and it's quite fun to yeah. let let fate decide a bit i'm really keen that um i carry on being interested in the two of them together in some way whether that means i carry on having sort of two discrete careers where the classical world know me for bringing pop music and the pop world know me for bringing classical music or whether it converges i'm, I'm quite keen to try and converge it a bit I'm, I'm, i've got a few ideas of projects i like to do involving bringing in some maybe pop musicians and classical musicians together and seeing how that works. But I think there are quite a few hurdles to overcome before that can be, be a reality. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Toby, for coming all the way to Signum HQ to record this podcast for us. Thanks for having me. Um, a final request. Could you introduce a piece from the album that you're particularly fond of? Whilst I really enjoyed all of the tracks on here, and I'm very fond of the balance that it creates, one of the ones I remember being the most fun to sing was 
the Holst I Love My Love, which I think would be quite fun to play now. So it's now competition time. Which legendary rock group have I been on stage with? Answers can be submitted by email to podcast at signumrecords.com. Thank you for downloading the Signum Records podcast. For more information on Signum Records releases, go to signumrecords.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Spotify or follow us on Twitter at Signum Records.